All right, if you will uh, find your way back to a seat, your seat, someone else's seat if you want. Uh, we, are, we are going to just uh, hit the ground at a dead, a dead run here. And so if you've got a Bible, you want to open it up to Romans chapter 6. We're going to pick up where Jim left off last week. Uh, he did Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We're going to pick up right there and do verses 8 through 14 this morning. And so while you get yourself situated and, and opened up to that, let's pray and uh, we'll dive in. God, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship. We recognize that there are people all over the world and countries all over the world who don't have this sort of opportunity, or if they do, that they do so at great risk to their own uh, personal well-being. And so, God, this is a blessing just to even gather together. Would we not uh, overlook that? Would we not minimize it or take it for granted, Lord? Uh, but would we come together with joy, excitement, with expectation? God, we gather together under the banner of Christ at the foot of the cross, and we join with the saints in heaven and around the world in praising and glorifying your name. And God, I pray that we wouldn't take that lightly. God, as we open your word, uh, would you speak to us? God, would your Holy Spirit take the truth of your word and impress it upon our hearts? Would we see in your word the living word, Jesus Christ? God, and would your spirit transform us by the truth of his life, death, and resurrection. God, I pray that as we continue in our time together, God, that we would be worshipful and awe-filled and reverent as we look at your word, God, and then as we sing together and as we fellowship and commune with one another, Lord, would all of this take place in a context and in an attitude and a posture of humble worship. God, you are worthy. You're the only one worthy of that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, Jim started us in a new section of Romans. The end of Romans 5 ended the last one, um, that we are justified by faith alone, or by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. This uh, last uh, week, Jim opened up the new section, which is going to go from Romans 6.1 all the way to the end of chapter 8. And the heading that we're putting that under to just kind of help everything make sense and keep us grounded in where we are is that all who are justified by Christ have new life in Christ. That's where we are. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been saved. Uh, he was your justifying, atoning, um, redeeming sacrifice. You've been saved, but you also have new life in him. And that's what Paul's going to unfold for us in Romans 6 through 8. Jim got us rolling last week, and he did a phenomenal job. Uh, Jim and Erica, as well as Libby and Catherine, we are blessed to have them, not just for our, our young people, but as a congregation. They do a phenomenal job of serving the entirety of our body, and Jim got a chance to do that from up here last week, and, and he did a great job. If you didn't listen to that sermon, I encourage you to go back and catch it on the podcast, um, but we're going to kind of roll our way forward, and what happens from Romans 6.1 down to Romans 6.14 is that Paul lays out a pattern for us. He's bridging the gap right now from the reality that you have justification through uh, by grace through faith in Christ into the fact that that should lead to this transformed life that is one of holiness, that is glorifying to the Lord. And he bridges that gap by giving us a pattern in Romans 6, 1 through 14. 
And so I'm actually going to take a running start at this section today by reading what Jim taught on last week and then also continuing down to verse 10. So this is Romans 6, 1 through 10. It says this, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware, your translation might say, or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. The pattern that Paul is laying out, that Romans 6, 1 to 14 lays out, is that we must comprehend, consider, and commit to our new life in Christ. That's the pattern. Three times in Romans 6, 1 through 10, Paul uses the word know. This whole thing starts with knowing, with comprehending or understanding. In verse 3, Paul says, do you not know? In verse 6, for we know. In verse 9, because we know. Paul very clearly wants us to understand some things. In fact, everything that's happened in Romans, from Romans 1, 1 all the way up to this point in Romans 6, has been information transfer geared at heart transformation. That's what Paul has been doing up to this point. And there are some really important pieces of information that Paul has wanted us to take hold of and to understand. He wants us to know that we're sinful and we can do nothing to save ourselves. That's Romans 1, 3, or Romans 1, 1, all the way through 3.20. He wants us to know that by God's grace, Jesus Christ died as our justifying, redeeming, atoning sacrifice. That's Romans 3, 21 to 31. He wants us to know that through faith in Christ, we can take hold of the grace that God has offered us. That's Romans 4. And he wants us to know that by grace through faith, we are no longer in Adam and his sin, but we are instead in Christ and his righteousness. That's Romans 5. And thus, we're saved. That's what Paul has done thus far. And then in this passage, he wants us to know some more. He wants us to know, verses 1 and 2, that just because you've been saved by grace does not give you license to sin. That's important, he says. He wants us to know that we, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that you're baptized into Christ's death. Romans 3, do you not know? Are you not aware that you were baptized into Christ Jesus? Romans 6, he wants us to know that our sinful Adam imputed to us that Paul talked about in Romans 5. Adam was crucified with Christ on the cross. That's verse 6. Verse 9, he wants us to know that we live with Christ in his resurrection because Christ cannot die again. And that's where I want us to really focus our attention. Romans 6, 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. Verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time but the life he lives, he uh, lives to God. 
Jesus cannot die again. It's in the past. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. It is done. He can't go back there. Sin and death have no hold on him now. That is a past action. Past tense. Grammar there is important. Because at the end of verse 10, he points out the opposite. The life he lives, that's current, right now, perpetual, ongoing, eternal. The life he lives, he lives to God. And what's really important, brothers and sisters, if you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, is the preposition there. In. In him. You've placed faith in him. You are in him. We talked about that in Romans 5. All of humanity in Adam. When he sinned in the garden. It's not just that you could have, though you could have. It's not just that you would have, though you would have too sinned with him. It's that you did. You were in him. And Paul wants you to know if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and taken hold of that grace, you are in Christ. We need to comprehend it. He says you need to know that. You need to know that in the same way that in God's economy, you actually did sin with Adam in the garden. Well, by faith, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you participated with Christ. You were in Christ in the cross and in the resurrection in the same way that you participated with Adam in the garden. The same thing. His righteousness has become yours. You are in him. That means you died once and for all on the cross. That's what you need to know. That means you resurrected to life, perpetual, eternal. Paul says we need to understand that. Both of those are true because you are in Christ. We've got to comprehend those things. Three times, Paul says in the first part of Romans 6, you need to know, you need to know. Do you not know? Understand these things. Faith isn't solely an intellectual affair. It doesn't just exist only in your mind. It also involves your heart and your emotions, involves all of who you are, but it absolutely includes your mind. At the very least, Christians, all Christians need to have a basic understanding of theology. We're all theologians in a sense. We need to know these things. We need to understand them. One of the most important things we do when we come together on Sunday mornings is less about teaching new stuff and more about rehearsing and remembering and reminding ourselves of the stuff we already know. In fact, if I get up here or someone gets up here on Sundays and we start saying things that feel new and novel, like you've never heard before, you should be sitting in your seat thinking, where are they cooking this up from? Christians, for a couple thousand years, have gathered around the truth of the word and the truth of the gospel. Nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes, right? We come together and we remind ourselves of the glorious truths of the gospel. That's what we do. We rehearse them. We remember them. We do that on Sundays. You do that in your small group but we should be doing it daily on our own. We need to remember and rehearse the gospel to ourselves. And so I wanna give you an assignment. Write out a paragraph or, or a statement, something succinct, fit it on a note card that just reminds you of the basic truths of the gospel. And then put that note card on the mirror where you get ready in the bathroom in the morning or in your closet, wherever that is, or on the dashboard of your car and rehearse that, put it on the refrigerator. Every day, walk yourself through the truths of the gospel. We need to remember them. We need to know them. 
We need to understand them. And so I'm, gonna, I'm going to offer to you the way that I do this. This is by no means the perfect way to do this. You come up with your own. But every day on my way to work, I remind myself, I rehearse four truths, four realities that encapsulate the gospel. My drive to work is four minutes long. That's all the longer this takes. It doesn't have to be a long process for you. The first reality is ugly, and it's that I am far more sinful than my heart wants to believe. I remind myself of that. The second truth is beautiful, and it's that despite my sin, in the greatest display of God's glory, he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to live a sinless life, die a sinner's death, so that sinful people could be restored to him. An ugly truth, a beautiful truth. Then there's an, a temporal truth that by having received his grace and placed my faith in Jesus Christ, my life right now finds ultimate purpose, ultimate meaning, ultimate fulfillment in a soul-satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ. And I live my life out of that relationship every day. But then there's a fourth reality that's eternal. And it's that one day I will go and spend eternity in the unhindered presence of the Lord. And that in that place, there will not even be the dimmest, faintest hint of a shadow of sin that exists there, and I'll commune with the Lord forever. I remind myself of those four realities every day. I need to. I need to remember the beauty of the gospel. I need to remember the truth of the gospel. You can come up with whatever way you wanna walk through that for yourself that you want, but I can promise you, you need to hear that every day not just on Sundays when you come to church, not just on Wednesday when you go to your small group or Sunday evening. We need to know and we need to rehearse those things. We sing them every Sunday. You may have you know, thoughts and opinions on the songs that are sung any given Sunday. In fact, church kind of statistics would tell us that more people leave or find new churches because of music style or song selection than just about anything else. But Brian and his team are very, very intentional in the songs that they sing. We sing songs that rehearse the gospel because we need to know it. We sing songs like, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. That's the rehearsing the gospel. We sing that to glorify him. We also sing it to remind ourselves of the truth because we need to know it. We sing something like how deep the Father's love for us. We sing, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. We rehearse the gospel when we sing those things. If you want another example of what that sort of statement could look like or a simple way to do that, go to the Gospel Coalition website, the Gospel Coalition, and there's a little spot where you can search. Click on the search bar and type in the Emmanuel Mantra. There's a church called Emmanuel Baptist Church, and they as an entire congregation, it's like three little statements that they use to rehearse the gospel to themselves. And that will give you another example. But I encourage you to do that because we need to know. Paul says we must comprehend. But he goes on in verse 11. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We must comprehend, consider, and commit. Verse 11 of chapter 6 is the first command, it's the first imperative in all of Romans. 
Paul's been working for five and a half chapters and he's not told you to do one thing. And then he arrives in Romans 6, 11, and he gives the first command, the first statement of this is what you should do. See and understand the importance of that order. We have to love and know and cherish the gospel before it makes sense to do anything in response to the gospel. Everything we do for the gospel or because of the gospel, everything we do for Christ or because of Christ comes out of an understanding and a love for the gospel or a love for Jesus. The order matters. Working the other way around doesn't make a person more holy. In fact, I would go so far as to say what it's going to do is make a person bitter, <coughs> discouraged, frustrated. That's because grace always precedes law. Always. A knowledge of grace should always precede actions of obedience. That's why the New Testament letters begin with a rehearsal of the gospel before there's any talk of what to do in light of it. You can look at Colossians. You can look at Ephesians. You can look at Romans like we're doing right now. There's always a theological section before a practical section. There are always all of these indicative truths that are given before there's anything imperative or commanded. There's always a discussion of the grace of the gospel before these laws for living. That's the appropriate order. And so Paul has been doing that and he finally arrives at Romans 6, verse 11, and he gives the first command. And do you see what it is? It's nothing outward. It's something you do in your heart and in your mind. He says, you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know why you would consider that? Why you need to square yourself with that? Because that's how God already sees you. And you need to line those two things up. Paul says, you consider it. See yourself the way God sees you. Understand yourself the way God understands you. The first thing Paul tells a Christian to do is an act of heart and an act of mind. It's not an outward action. The word for consider there, Paul's going to use it 19 more times over the course of the rest of Romans. And so we need to really understand it. The word is reckon. Reckon. If you had like a King James version of the Bible, that's probably how it's translated. To reckon yourself. That's a financial term that means to credit to one's account. That definition should sound familiar if you were here when we talked about Romans 5. It's very similar to the definition of impute or imputation that we gave. In the same way that by grace through faith, God considers you no longer in Adam, but in Christ, you need to consider yourself no longer in Adam, but in Christ. If your life were an accounting ledger, ledger right, at a certain point, that point being the moment you placed faith in Christ and took hold of God's saving grace, you went from a massive, unpayable debt to an unthinkable, glorious surplus. That's what happened. You went from a debt you could not possibly pay to a surplus you could never possibly deserve. And Paul says, get your account square. Make sure yours shows what God's shows. That's how he views you. You've gone from unbelievable debt to unthinkable surplus. And you need to consider that. You need to reckon it, to square yourself with that. In God's economy, the account has been paid and now he's pleading with you, update the account. Think about, we don't really write checks. A lot of people don't write checks anymore. But you used to write yourself a check and then 
tear it out and hand it to the, the cashier or whatever, and then you would flip to the back, and what would you need to do? You would need to make your ledger show what your bank account was going to show. And so you wrote down what the check was and how much, and then you did the little math over on the side to show what was left in your account, right? I learned how to do this in sixth grade, and then I never had to do it because online banking. <laughs> right, that's, that's what we need to do because you would need to do the same thing in your checking book when you made a deposit and something got credited to your account. You needed to update how much money was in there. Consider Paul says, reckon, square the accounts, make them line up, dead to sin, alive to God, in Christ Jesus. I wanna illustrate this a couple of ways. So a lot of people in here are married. It's one thing to just comprehend the fact that you're married. Yeah, there was this moment. I stood up at the altar across from this person that I love. I said some vows and we got married. It's one thing to comprehend that. And now I'm gonna most, probably most specifically be talking to husbands here. There was a moment shortly after that took place at the altar where you made a decision. You spent some money, you told someone you would do something, whatever it might be. And you hadn't really reckoned yourself married yet and so you just made that decision alone. <laughs> And then you thought, communication's important in a marriage. I'll inform my wife of this thing that I decided or this thing that I did. And your wife looked at you like, listen, pal, you're married now. Live like it. Consider it. Square the account. Reckon it, right? That's what Paul is saying. You died in Christ. You were raised in him. Square the accounts. Live like it. Put yourself there. Understand it. Don't just mentally comprehend it, but actually consider it to be true, right? Some of you in here are parents. Sometime you weren't, and then you had a child. And I'm not a parent yet, but I can guarantee you no longer lived like you didn't have children. It wasn't an option, <laughs> right? If nothing else changed, you were just sleepier all the time. <laughs> consider it. Reckon. Square yourself with it. Watchman Knees, the author of a book called The Normal Christian Life, I've quoted from this before, but he explains this idea of reckoning incredibly, incredibly well. He says this, we need to have our eyes open to the fact that our union with Christ, uh, open to the fact of our union with Christ, and that is something more than knowing it as a doctrine. Such revelation is no vague and indefinite thing. Most of us can remember the day we saw clearly that Christ died for us. And we ought to be equally clear as to the time when we saw that we died with Christ. Most of us can remember the day we comprehended that Christ died for us. We need to be equally clear on the day that we considered that we died with him. Comprehend, consider. Let me illustrate one more way. <clears throat> My wife's side of the family, um, they have what... Uh, for many years, I considered odd traditions. Most of them centered around like or holidays or birthdays or whatever. The, the Macquarie family, they do not just sing happy birthday. It's like a 20-part harmony, angels from heaven sort of experience when you do the birthday party celebration at the Macquarie house. Another one, though, is that at Christmas, when the extended family gets together, 
all the women will bring a small present that they're going to give to uh, one other woman in the family. And all the men will bring a small gift that you're going to give to one of the men in the family. And it doesn't just, it's not just this thing where you just take it and like set it under a tree or set it somewhere and then everybody goes and you grab a bag that wasn't yours. That'd be way too easy. (laughs) Instead, what happens is all of the women at one time sit in this large circle on chairs in the middle of the room and someone takes out a book and they start reading the book. And at certain words, you pass the present to the right. At other words, you pass the present to the left. And no one can ever remember which way are you supposed to pass the bag and on which words. And so it just kind of turns into this like hilarity sort of thing. And then the men do the same deal. I sat down the first year to participate in this and I just watched my gift as it moved, right? I played along, but I was tracking mine and it ended up three spots to the left. So then the next year I showed up and I thought for sure we'll read a different book and pick some different words. We sat in the circle, they got out the same book and the same words. And so I stopped everyone. I said, just pass it three to the left. (laughs) I'm already looking like three people down. What is it? I hope it's a gift card. It's in a small bag. It might be a gift card, (laughs) right? We could have just done that. The tradition didn't make any, why would we do this again? Look, here's my point. (laughs) That tradition was never going to mean anything to me until I considered myself part of the family. I could sit down every Christmas and begrudgingly take part. I could could just annoyingly wait until the one that's three to my right moves its way three spots to the left and I end up with it. Or I could reckon myself in the family. And now that activity takes on entirely new meaning. That behavior becomes mine. Paul's making this transition from talking about knowing the gospel to talking about living out the truths of the gospel, and you cannot skip this important step. Consider yourself in Christ. Otherwise, all of the stuff of living like Christ is never going to seem like yours, ever. You might do it begrudgingly, but you'll hate it the whole time until you consider yourself dead to sin in him alive to God in him. See how important that is. Consider yourself. Paul's going to go on and he's going to talk about all of these things that we should do, but none of them are really going to take hold in your life until you see and embrace God's radically changed view of who you are in Christ Jesus. We have to do that. See and embrace God's radically changed view of who we are by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He has imputed Christ's righteousness to you. Impute it to yourself. Square your ledger. Take hold of it. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We sing this all the time here. Sometimes we'll sing the song, It Is Well. There's a verse in the song, It Is Well. My sin, oh the joy of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It died there. We sing it in the song, Before the Throne. 
One of the verses is, Behold him there, the risen lamb, the, the risen lamb, the great unshakable I am, the king of glory and of grace. And then we sing this line, One in himself, I cannot die. I'm one in him. We died. Adam in me, sinner, Tim, died on the cross. And now I can't die anymore because he can't. Romans 6.10 and so I need to consider myself there. Romans 6, 11. How does this differ from comprehending, Tim? Is this just a semantic thing? That's a, that's a logical question you should be asking yourself. Let's go back to the living room with Melody's family at the, the extended family Christmas or the extended family birthday party. It's one thing to just know in the car on the way over there that they're going to sing happy birthday and it's gonna sound great. It's another thing now, when I'm on my way over there, I'm thinking to myself, this is the harmony line I'm really gonna jam on when I get there. <laughs> because I'm in the family. It's one thing to think to myself, I know that when I sit down in the circle, I can look three presents to the right and start salivating over what I'm gonna end up with. Or I know I can sit down in the circle and just look over at the person three to my left and say, hey man, Chipotle, you're welcome, right? I know, I comprehend that I can do that, right? It's totally different to sit down in the circle and say, I love this game because this is a part of who we are. This is part of what it is to be a Macquarie. Take baptism that Jim talked about last week. It's one thing to comprehend that in your baptism, you are making a public proclamation of an inward declaration of faith. It's one thing to understand that, to comprehend it, that this is an outward sign of something that's happened inwardly inside of me. It's entirely a different thing. To see yourself in the phrase, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. It's totally different to think to yourself, this is what happened to me, me on the cross. I died with him and was buried. And when he triumphed over sin and death out of the grave, I was raised in him to walk to newness of life. Those are different things. It's different to understand it than it is to reckon myself inside of it. And it does something powerful because most of our sanctification efforts are corrective. We see something broken in ourselves. We see something that happens that we do that doesn't align with God's word. We have a moment of guilt or a moment of shame and we think to ourselves, I need to fix that. That's a necessary process, and it's one that Paul's gonna talk about plenty as we continue on here in the book of Romans. But this considering, this reckoning has a different effect that is preventative. Think about your health insurance, not what you thought you'd think about on Sunday morning at church. Your health insurance typically offer, uh, functions in two ways. One way is that the company says, when you get sick or when this happens and you go to the doctor, you pay this much, we'll pay this much. A lot of health insurance plans offer something else though. If you will go to the doctor ahead of time and do this preventative care, it's free. We know that that saves us money. We know that that saves you money. Comprehending, considering, that's preventative. Save the pain. Save the hurt of the consequences of sin in your life. 
comprehend and consider because here's what happens when you consider and you arrive in a moment of temptation and you think to yourself, I've considered myself in Christ, dead to sin, alive in Christ. I could no more do this sinful thing than a dead person could hop out of their grave and do it because I'm in Jesus. I'm in Christ. He died to sin. It does not rule over him anymore. He walks in newness of life. So do I. I died. The sinner in me died. I raised with Christ and now I walk with him in him. I couldn't do that thing. That becomes preventative and powerful in your life. Paul goes on. One last thing. Because we need to Comprehend, consider, and commit. Finally, in verse 12 of chapter six, Paul gives the first thing that you should outwardly do. And he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. comprehend, consider, then you make this commitment to the way that you're gonna live. And the way that that is is that you do not let sin reign. Paul has been personifying sin in chapters five and six, sin and death, as if they are this king who's got a kingdom and it rules and it reigns. And he arrives here in chapter six and he says, that reign, that king has been tossed off the throne. His power has been completely removed, which means this, that in your life for one long season, different links for different people, sin reigned. Sin reigned in you. You gave yourself, your heart, your mind, your hands, your mouth, your eyes, your, your actions, your influence to not only partaking in the darkness of that sin, but to advancing it in the world, right? You had some sinful thing you loved and you wanted to like gather up other people to do it because misery loves company. You gave yourself to that. And at the cross, Jesus struck a fatal blow to that king. As Satan and sin and darkness was taking ground in the world, Jesus not only said, you will stop here and have no more. No, he said, you are dead, defeated, done. It's over. Sin will not reign any longer. And if you've placed your faith in Christ, why would you fight for that dead king? Why would you offer any of yourself as a weapon to that unrighteousness, to that sin? Why would you try to give yourself to a king who's not on the throne anymore when instead you could offer yourself to a living king? Don't fight for a dead king. (laughs) Commit to living for a living king. If you comprehend the truths of the gospel and you consider yourself in Christ, then you know who that king is and you offer yourself, every part of yourself as a weapon. Maybe your translation says instrument in the hands of that king. Either way, both of those are good translations. You can either picture yourself as a weapon in the hands of the Lord or you can picture yourself as an oboe. I don't care. (laughs) But why would you offer yourself any longer to a king who can't hold that weapon, who can't play that instrument, who is dead and defeated. You died in Christ. You raised in Christ. And now he rules and you offer yourself to him. But there's an order. Comprehend, consider, then 
commit. If you try to skip one of the first two, I can promise you that the committing part is going to just lead to a life of frustration, a life of feeling defeated, a life of feeling like I can't overcome this thing that's got a grip on me. And that's discouraging. It's difficult. We're going to end our time with worship. And we're going to sing a couple of songs. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to rehearse the gospel. We're going to sing, All I Have is Christ. The second verse says this. It's such a beautiful rehearsal of the gospel. And as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. That's an incredible rehearsal of the gospel. And then we'll sing about committing. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Let's stand up and sing together. So we must comprehend, consider, and commit to our new life in Christ. Uh, I want to end just with, with an illustration here. Picture your life as one book. Still being written. It's got a lot of seasons and chapters, but one of the most important things and what Paul is bringing out here in Romans 5 and Romans 6 is that it has two volumes. It's got one volume that was your life before Christ. And it has a second volume that is your life now in Christ. The one from before is done. It has been shut. It can be authored no longer. And you're in a new volume now. And though that old volume is meaningful and important part of who you are and how you arrived at the place that you're in today, you cannot go back to it. It's closed and it's finished and you live in this second volume that's being written right now. You need to comprehend how you got there. Consider that you are there and commit yourself to remaining there. And you don't offer yourselves to the thing or yourself to the things that you used to offer yourself to. Instead, you consider yourself in Christ and you offer yourself fully to him. Which means that the question is not what would Jesus do? Although that's a fine question. The better question is what is Jesus doing? Because you're in him. And what he is doing is what you are to be doing. And you just give yourself to him and allow that to be true. And if one thing is certain that Jesus Christ is not doing, it's that he is not offering himself as an instrument of unrighteousness. He's offering himself as a weapon for righteousness. That's what the new volume of your life is about. What's the takeaway? What do you go away and apply today? First and foremost, if you do not know and understand, if you have not accepted the truths of the gospel, you can do that for the very first time today. We'd love to talk to you. Anyone on our staff would love to talk with you about what that means. If you have placed your faith, taken hold of grace by faith in Jesus Christ, rehearse that to yourself every day. Every day. This is the truth. And I need to know it. And I need to remember it. 
And if you're doing that and you still feel stuck, maybe today is the day that you need to begin to consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. Maybe today is the day that you need to reckon the account to get your ledger to show the same thing that God does. You need to begin to truly see yourself as dead on the cross with Jesus Christ and then triumphantly resurrected with Jesus Christ. And you begin to take hold of that and to square yourself with that and I can promise you life's gonna feel different. The things that sounded good to your heart are no longer gonna sound good. They're gonna sound like death. And the things that Jesus is doing now, those are gonna sound very sweet. And that's not to say that you won't ever have sin struggles again. It's not to say that you won't be tempted. It's not to say that your flesh won't rear itself inside of you, but it is to say that you'll have this newfound ability to look at that thing and to say, I am dead to you because I died with Christ. One time on the cross forever. And now I live with him forever. And then commit yourself. Maybe you need to take a step forward in commitment this morning. You might need to make a strong declaration that you will, I will no longer offer myself to a king other than Jesus. It's time for me to offer all of who I am as a weapon in the hands of the Lord against the darkness of this world. I will not fight for a dead king any longer because sin does not reign. Grace does. Life does. And I'll give myself in full all of my parts, my hands, my mind, my heart, my mouth, my actions, my influence to doing what Jesus is doing because I am in him. Maybe this morning you need to look at comprehending and do that for the first time. Maybe this morning you need to begin a process of considering or reckoning or maybe this morning you need to start walking in commitment to being used as an instrument, a weapon of righteousness in Christ Jesus. Let me pray and then we'll go. God, thank you for uh, today. God, would we humbly allow your spirit to illuminate the truth of your word to us. God, I pray that you would shine light on the truth of the gospel for those who need to comprehend it for the very first time. Lord, would you stir in their hearts and draw them to faith. God, I pray that for each of us, we would daily give ourselves to knowing and considering where we are, who we are because of the gospel. God, help us to see ourselves the way you see us, to square up our account to exactly the way that you see it in Christ. God, and would your Holy Spirit empower us to commit to living life in him no longer allowing sin and death to reign, but instead offering ourselves as instruments, as weapons of righteousness. God, and would you proclaim your glory and your greatness and the truth of the gospel through those lives that are surrendered to you, weapons or instruments in your hand, that the nations might know and be able to comprehend, consider, and commit themselves to the truth of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.